You know, I was thinking about this message, and, and you know, I was asked probably the week before, now it was maybe it was the third week in June that I was asked to do this, and, and I, I thought about it a lot. You know, the Lord gave me a pretty clear message that I should speak out of Luke 10. So I read Luke 10, and well, there's a lot of messages in Luke 10. You know, there's not just one message in Luke 10. There's got to be four, five, maybe six messages that could be given out of Luke 10. But as I thought about this in the last days, I wondered what would I want this body of Christ, this church, CF, CDL, Christian Fellowship, to know if I was to die before my message even started. You know, what I, what I think is that I want you to know that God's love is rich. And it's rich toward you. He loves you doesn't matter what place in life you are. You know, he came to die for the world. That's everybody. It doesn't matter what stage you're at in life. It doesn't matter who you are or how, how religious you've become or how spiritual you've come or how terrible you've been. He loves you. He loves you with a love that can't be separated. No height nor depth principle, principality, because of darkness cannot separate you from that love. So if I don't make it through this, know that. That he loves you. Now if I can find my sermon. <clears throat> And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. We're going to come back to that. That was spoken from Jesus to the disciples after he'd risen from the dead. We know we all have a part that we play in the body, whether that's preaching the gospel or what that happens to be. I think this message coming out of Luke, I never knew that the entire message of Luke 10 tied all together. That's what the Lord's been showing me for a few weeks now. And um, hopefully I can find Luke 10 <clears throat> so we can actually go into it. Um, Luke 10 has four main parts in it. The first one, he sends the 70 out. He sends 70 people out to perform miracles. He sends them out to cast out demons. He sends them out to bring forth the glory of God and bring close the kingdom of heaven. So when we think about the words that were spoken by Jesus that he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel, realize that that gospel had not been created at that point. They weren't out to preach the gospel. They were out to bring forth the kingdom of God. So the first part is the 70. The second part 
is a question that a lawyer asks. And the question he asks is, what does it take to get to eternity? The third part of Luke 10 is the parable of the Good Samaritan. And we all have, many of us have heard that. Maybe not all of us, but many of us have heard that. So we know what that story is about. And last but not least, it's a story, it's an account of Jesus visiting the home of Martha and Mary. And so as I, as I read the chapter over and over again, I began to see how it all ties together. These 70, these 70 people, <clears throat> who do you suppose they were? Did Jesus take them off the street corner? Were they random people that he just picked? No, I, I think not. I don't think that they were those people. I think they were the closest to Jesus that there were other than the 12. Remember that 12 had been, if you look in chapter 9, this, this verse comes up. We're going to read chapter 10 here, these first verses. But remember that, that when he says, it's the first verse in, in, in chapter 10 says, now after this, the Lord appointed 70 others. After what? After he had sent the 12. The 12 had been sent out to do the same thing. And they had come back with glorious results just as the 70 did. So let's, let's read these first, um, this first part of 10. Now after this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them two and two ahead of him to every city and every place where he, had himself, or he himself was going to come. Now think about that. I want to stop right there. He sent them ahead to every place that he was going to come. And when we, when we go forth into the world, you know, he a lot of times follows. We plant a seed, and what does the Spirit do? The Spirit grows a seed. So they're going out ahead of him. And he was saying to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your ways. Behold, I send you as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no purse, no bag, no shoes, and greet no one on the way. And whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a man of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And say in that house, stay in that house, eating and drinking what they give you, for the labor is worth his wages. Do not keep moving from the house to house. And whatever city you enter and they receive and they receive you, eat what is set before you and heal those in it who are sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whatever city you enter and they do not receive you, go out into the streets and say, even the dust of your city, which clings to, to our feet, we wipe off in protest against you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near to you. The kingdom of God has come near to you. He said that 
they should say that not only to those that received them, but those that didn't. We know that our God is unchanging. Do you know our God is unchanging? You know, he reigns. His love that we talked about earlier reigns on the people of this earth each and every day. It's never stopped from the day of creation. It's never stopped since the day Adam was created, his love. Not for one moment. Whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, that is true. He loves you. None of that has changed. So for these people, the kingdom of God had come near by miracles, by the way of the healing of the lame, the hearing of the deaf, the speaking of the mute. It had come near to these people. And he comes near to us every day. So these 70 are out. And, and as I said before, I, you know, I think of these 70 and I think of them having to have been close to Jesus. You know, these were, these were the guys that, that would, would get up in the morning, they would pack their bags, and they would say, where's he going today? I'm going to follow him. And I'm going to follow him close. Because when I get there and he decides to speak, I want to be in the front row. And unlike now, where we get to sit here and listen to, to uh, oh, did we lose it? My back? So I can't sit down and speak. Huh. Well, I guess we've learned a lesson. Back when these 70 were alive, there were no speakers, right? No microphones. The people in the way back did not hear nearly as well as those that were in the way front. Can we agree with that? Okay. So these 70, I'm guessing, were very close to Jesus. They were followers. If they hadn't been part of the 12, I'd be surprised. I mean, I would bet that even with the 12, they were invited in from time to time, and they were close to Jesus. They had a relationship with him. They were not random people. You know, I was thinking, actually last night the Lord gave me a little something. Um, We went, Chris and I went up to Canada last week, so we weren't in church last week, but I was gone. We were gone from last Friday, and then this week was a busy week, and most of the time I'll call my dad. You know, and um, this week I didn't. So I had a couple of messages from him last night, so I called him back, and he said, I thought you'd call. I've missed you. Now, isn't that just like our Lord? We get busy with our lives. The busyness of going out and doing the things, whether they're of service to the kingdom or whether they're just our workplace or whatever they happen to be, isn't that just like us to get too busy? And when we go and we sit in that place before God, he might say, I've missed you. He might say, hi, Vaughn. 
how close are we to him? These 70, I think, were very close to him. I don't think that he'd entrust the work of his kingdom to come close to those who weren't close to him. And I suspect that he probably wouldn't call us in any way, shape, form, or manner unless we were close to, close to him. The next little piece of this, which is part of this, part of the 70, <clears throat> let's, let's read in chapter, starting in, starting in verse 17, let's read. In this, the, the title in my Bible says, The Happy Results. So these people went out and they, they saw the things they watched Jesus doing. And the things they watched Jesus doing were healing the lame, making the deaf hear, casting out demons, and in some cases, raising people from the dead. That's what they saw him doing. And they went out and did the same thing. Could you imagine the excitement of these people coming back to Jesus saying, wow, we saw the best and most amazing things when we were out. And they were excited. I can imagine their excitement. I can just imagine at my hands, they had watched people here that had never heard in their life because Jesus touched them. And Jesus gives them the authority and the power to do the same. And by their hand, somebody now hears. That'd be pretty exciting. I think I'd be really excited about that. They come back enthusiastic. Let's read this. And the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall injure you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. They were excited. And he kind of dumbs down the excitement a little bit, and he puts something before them that is far greater. It's far greater. We read in Revelation chapter 21 in the end, the, the account that John wrote of what heaven was like, the pearl gates, the golden streets, all of the things that are there. And in the end, he says, there's people that won't make it here. But for those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life, they will find this place. They will have this place. This place will be theirs. In John chapter 14, Jesus says, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. My father's house has many mansions. Think about that. When I think of a mansion, I think of a, you know, 12, 14, 20 bedroom home. I mean, just a dwelling place for many. And Jesus says, I have created a dwelling place for you. And in my father's house, there are many of these dwelling places, which are described in 
Revelation chapter 21, talking about that place where the, those mansions exist. They exist where there's golden streets. They exist behind gates of pearl. This is exciting. This is good stuff, right? And Jesus knew this to be the most important thing, that these 70 who had come back doing all these things, that they were going to enjoy these mansions with him for eternity. We get to enjoy what we have with God from now, today, until forevermore. There is no end to what he's talking about when our names are recorded in heaven. There's no end to this. And Jesus was excited most about the fact that he gets to spend eternity with those 70. So he tells them so. Rejoice about this. Listen to the next verse. Verse 21. At that very time, he rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit. This is a big deal, Jesus, too. The fact that you would come to him, you would accept him, that you would receive him, that you would be a part of his life forever is a big deal to him. And it was a big deal when he said that. It was no small thing that he said. So he rejoiced greatly at that very time. It's interesting how, how this chapter moves into the next part of it because it all ties together. Starting in verse 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? We've been talking about eternal life here. And this lawyer stands up, knowledge, and he says, he's testing Jesus, right? He's testing him. He's saying, what does it take? And Jesus, in his usual form, asks the man a question. What is written in the law and how does it read to you? The next verse, what I'm going to read, is the most important thing that you will ever yearn after as a believer in Jesus Christ. It's my prayer that this would be your everyday yearning. Verse 27, and he answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. What's Jesus say? You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Forever. Eternally. 
with me, with my Father, with your Father in heaven. You know, the first time, and some of you, some of you haven't experienced me being up here before, but back in maybe 10 years ago, I was on this very stage in this church doing the same thing. And I remember that message. That message was this verse. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. We capture the one vivid word there, all. If I give Randy all my money, what do I have left? Nothing. Have I given Jesus, have I given God my all? No. No. I haven't. I'm going to save this one little credit card over here just in case, Lord. It's a pretty important message to understand what God wants from us. I started out telling you what I wanted you to know, (laughs) that he loves you, each and every one of you, with an inseparable love for eternity. And all he wants back is a little love. He wants us to love him back. I think it's interesting that we get to this point of understanding and we try to figure out how we even get to the next level of Christianity if we haven't been able to figure out the first one. How do I serve God in any way if I can't figure out how to love him with my all? And we need to figure that out. Two weeks ago, our precious sister Darcy had such a beautiful message. And that message, by the way, was very much the Spirit of God because it tied so much in what the Spirit's trying to tell us, every one of us, to understand. She had a message about a chair. Place. Oh, hold on. It would be right if it wasn't a red chair. Darcy talked about how we wander away from that chair. And the man sitting here on the red chair in front of you has wandered away more than any of you have. I'd even bet you. sat up on this stage 10 years ago and trusted to this body to give a message of hope and of love. And instead of understanding that it was to the glory of God, my pride got the best of me. And I wandered away from that chair I wandered far away from that chair into the darkest, deepest hell that I'd ever walked into before. 
deserving nothing but wrath with every breath. God took my heart to death in that time and he rose me back up and he accepted me. Why? Because he loves me. And it didn't matter where I went. He pursued me wherever I went, even to the deepest, darkest parts of my life. When I was 16 years old, I accepted Christ into my life. I wasn't a very good person at that point in time. Just before that, the school and I had decided mutually that I should not be there anymore. My father had decided that I probably shouldn't be in the house. I was sleeping on a park bench when the chief of police came up and he says, listen, Jeff, he says, you know, I can't let you just sleep out in the park. I got to take you somewhere else. And thank God he took me to a place where I ended up being where the light of Christ and the love of Christ was felt, heard, the light was shown, and I accepted Christ. And on and off throughout my life, I've actually walked in that. I've walked in a good place. But there's been a lot of times that I haven't. And for me to be standing up here, I'm just humbled. I love you people. Those of you that were here before and saw this man, I stood up here and sang in worship. I preached a message from time to time, and I left for my selfish ambitions. And I'm grateful to be here today. I'm grateful that I have an opportunity to stand in front of you and express that God loves you. I know this. I know it to be true. And we, we try and figure out what this looks like as a Christian most of our life. We get saved. And the next thing we do is we try to figure out what in the world does this look like for me now? How do I define myself as Christian? I don't know. Something's got to be different about me, right, than it was before. I called myself a Christian. There's got to be something different. What is it? What's it going to be? So typically what we do is we go, ah, I got to do something different. And we might look around the church. We might find some older church members who are doing certain things, and we might say, well, I'll do that. I'll do that. Typically, I don't think that's the way that God designed it. We are a body of believers with different purposes. Paul talks about it in, in Romans 12. He talks about the different parts of the body. And if, if we're going to come to him as a bride and not just be a bunch of shoulders, a bunch of knees, and a bunch of toes, we're probably going to have to get here. Loving the Lord our God, spending time with him, nurturing that relationship and that love that he has for us. That time is precious. Thank you, Darcy. 
This time is precious. It's not the red chair. It's the time you invest in loving the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And if you can walk in a place of eternal devotion, then serve. Don't serve without a heart of eternal devotion. Most of what we do in life is similar to the Good Samaritan. If we read the account of the Good Samaritan, and we will, we hear this. Jesus replied and said, A certain man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him and and went off, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a certain priest was going down on that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, who was on a journey, came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion and came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring out the wine on them, and he put them he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend when I return, I will repay you. Most of our service is going to be rightfully done in a place of devotion with the Lord as we go about our way. This Samaritan was just on a journey. He wasn't out looking for the homeless to feed. He was just on a journey. He was going somewhere, and he came across somebody who had a need, and he figured out how to provide that need. Wakes up the next morning, hands the guy some money, and he goes back on his journey. You know, that's the way we, we go to work, we go to Walmart, we go to the bank, we go to all these places in our life, and along the way, we see people that have a need. They have a hurt. They have a pain. They have a longing. They have a hole in their heart, something that we have experienced the filling of. Because we know the love of our Father, and we love the Father ourselves. And we spend enough time with him to know what he would do. Jesus said, sometimes I, sometimes I think of this, and, and there was actually a book, I think, written, and there was a big movement about what would Jesus do. I think about that quite often. What would Jesus do? Yeah, let's, let's read what Jesus says he'd do. John 5.19 Therefore Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing for whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in a like manner. Jesus couldn't do nothing. What makes me think I can? Unless I've seen the Father doing it. Where do I see the Father doing what he's doing? Right here. Reading this. If you want to know what the Father's like, start 
in the first chapter of this book. He created people to have a relationship with them. He longed for that people all the way through this book. He's a relational God. He loves us. If we want to do what the Father is doing, we love him and we love others. That's what we get to do. We get to live our lives out doing that. This is where we find it, in eternal devotion to him, getting to know him, getting closer to him. Letting him be our God and our teacher and letting the Spirit guide us along the way. There's power and authority there. And exciting things. I mean, I think there's some people that say, well, why don't we see all these miracles happening? Maybe it's because we haven't really captured eternal devotion and love. Do I love him enough to get past the first? If I can get past the first commandment, God, help me to do something for you because I haven't got that one down. When I think about it and I think about the message of loving him with my all, I ain't God at all. This book of, this book of Luke in this chapter of 10 ties so eloquently together. The last part of this chapter, I think, tells pretty much all of it. Starting in chapter, verse 38. <clears throat> now, as they were traveling along, he entered a certain village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And she had a sister called Mary, who moreover was listening to the Lord's word seated at his feet. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. And the Lord answered to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. How many of us have gotten worried, bothered, busy. Me. Jesus' next words, he even corrects himself. But only a few things are necessary. Oh, well, really only one. Not even a few things are necessary. Jesus corrects himself and says, well, only one thing is necessary. And Mary has grabbed a hold of that good thing. Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening, adoring her Lord, loving him so much she can't possibly get away to do the work. Only one thing, Jesus says, is necessary. And Mary has grabbed a hold of it. This morning I hoped 
that we could see how the 70 were close, how the message to the lawyer was the same, how just going about our life and caring for people as we go along the way, how this message that Jesus gives about the only one thing that's important It was really kind of amazing to me how much that entire chapter tied together. And I think of how important it is for us to spend time with a God that loves us so much and to love him in return. I think some of us have just kind of forgotten about that. Jesus even gave some warnings about this whole thing. I can get to these pages. Many will say to me, Matthew 7, 22. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons. And in your name perform many miracles. Twenty-three. And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. You never had a red chair. I loved you, but you never loved me. It's kind of a stern warning when you think about it. We work and work and work and work and work. We need to find time for him. One more warning that Jesus gave. I'll leave you with this. Revelation 2, 3 and 4. He's asking John to write to the church of Ephesus. I know your deeds, your toil, and your perseverance, and that you cannot tolerate evil men, and that you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not, and you found them to be false. And you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. That's pretty good. They were doing great. They'd fulfilled a lot of the things that Jesus wanted from them. But I have this against you. that you have left your first love. Let's not get so busy that we can't enjoy what the God of creation, what the God our Father is desiring from us as relationship. Now think about the, the whole gospel message is revolved around the cross. God had to do something to have a relationship with you. 
Because when it came to our sin, he couldn't look at us. And until he sent his son, until his son died on that cross, and until he was resurrected, we didn't have a shot. We had nothing. We weren't going nowhere. And he did that. He didn't do it just to abolish our sins and and to, to wipe them away. Yeah, he did that. He didn't do them just so that he didn't have wrath on us. Well, yeah, he did that. But he did it so that we could be in right relationship with him. He did it so that we could adore him as he adores us, to love him as he loves us. He loves us with no separation, no busyness. He's never too busy for you. I think that we would completely miss the gospel message if we didn't enter into that relationship with him. Don't walk through this life, which is as grass withers, with any other attitude other than, I need to figure this first commandment out. I got to love the Lord my God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, and with all my strength. Nothing else matters. Jesus said, really only one thing matters. Martha, Martha, you've gotten so many busy with so many things. Mary has grabbed a hold of the one thing. Grab a hold of the one thing. This week, reflect on that. Think about that. He just wants to love you. He wants to spend time with you. If you don't get there, you're missing the whole point. Father, we're so thankful, Lord, that you are our God. We're thankful that you love us with an unending love that takes us all the way to eternity, Lord. A place that we don't understand, but you do. Father, we long to be in your mansions. Today we promise to sit in that chair, to dedicate our time to learning how to love you and spending time with you so that we can know you more. Bless us as we go out our week. As we leave these this parking lot, and we see that our mission field is out there. Help us to not go without you and a love for you in our heart. I ask you, Lord, just to bless each one as they go. In Jesus' name.